Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, another special Beat Writer Roundtable edition. This episode, we are going through the NFC South. I am Michael Beller, be joined by all four of our NFC South Beat Writers. But hey, this division, it's got the defending Super Bowl champions. So of course, that is where we have to start, down in Tampa with the Buccaneers. And to do that, we bring on our Buccaneers Beat Writer, Greg Allman. Greg, exciting year ahead in Tampa. How you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. It's wild to think of the Bucks uh, coming first. It's like maybe in like a draft podcast or something most years. But yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that's how, that's how we do it. Try to structure it with the quote best or the team we expect to be the best or one of the best on top and very easy to choose who starts off the NFC South episode with the Buccaneers rolling in, not only as the defending Super Bowl champs, but with all 22 starters coming back this whole team fully intact and of course we care more about the offensive side of the ball than the defensive side of the ball so with all of this with all of these same players in place these same pieces and a few moving parts here and there what's the one thing that you're most interested in watching at camp this summer yeah just honestly who can crack this lineup I mean there's it's there's so few jobs that are really up for grabs uh, whether it be starting lineup jobs or making the 53. Uh, there's so much back that even the really talented newcomers are going to be struggling to get reps and get snaps. Um, I'm sure there'll be some surprises. There'll probably be some injuries at some point. But right now, it's uh, you know you just want to see the ways that this team can can rebrand itself, uh, ideally with some new player somewhere uh, to be different and distinct from from the one that just won a championship. Yeah, we know that one of the places this team is going to have some continuity is in the passing game, of course, with Tom Brady. And then with his two top receivers, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, we've seen wide receiver one seasons in the fantasy world from both of these guys. We've seen some huge touchdown seasons from Mike Evans. There's a little bit of a concern that they're going to sort of get in each other's way because of how good they both are, that neither of them can be that uh, you know, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins-style wide receiver. And we saw that to a certain extent last season. Do they run it back in a similar way this year, or could we see something go in one or the other receiver's direction? Yeah, that's definitely the the, the limiting factor for all these guys is each other, is just <laughs> the fact that the pie is cut up into so many smaller pieces. Um, I, like, I feel like Mike Evans will be hard-pressed to match the 13 touchdowns he had last year. Um, if you go look at Mike Evans, he's got this weird, even-odd thing in his career where he's <laughs> led the Bucks in receiving touchdowns every even-numbered year, but he never has in an odd-numbered year. Um, so Godwin got him two years ago. Uh, obviously, Chris Godwin, you know, but both guys probably played through some injuries last year, but Godwin, you know, had like, I think, three different injuries that literally cost him games last season. So if he's healthy, I think he's in a much better position to uh, raise his totals both in catches and targets, in, in touchdowns. Um, and then, again, I mean, you have a full season of Antonio Brown, which right. cuts into the pie even more. Um Jalen Darden as a rookie comes in. Tyler Johnson in year two cuts in. A healthy O.J. Howard cuts in. So even if you give Tom Brady 40 touchdowns again, it, it's mm-hmm. hard to to see somebody breaking through for 15 or something like that out of that uh, out of that group. Yeah, 71,006-13 for Mike Evans a season ago. Played all 16 games. As you said, Chris Godwin limited by injury. Missed four games. Still gave you 65 grabs, 840 yards, and seven touchdowns. Would expect to see those numbers bump up a little bit with a healthy season out of Chris Godwin. You said it, Greg. We got to go to Antonio Brown next to get a full season out of him. The eight games that he played with Tampa, he looked pretty good, and you definitely like the pace that he was at. 45 catches, 62 targets, 483 yards, and four touchdowns with the Buccaneers a season ago. But with all these other mouths around this team, can he sustain that level of target share in the offense? I think so. I mean, some of his numbers last year, like there was this quirky thing where where Brady really hooked him up in the season finale last year. I think he had 13 catches in the final regular season game, had like seven in the fourth quarter. Like he needed to get a certain number of catches. And Brady just started dumping off everything to him in the fourth quarter. So 
I mean, he could easily, you know, for him to be at, I think 45 catches would be 90 in the full season. I don't think he's a 90 catch guy. Yeah. But, you know, touchdowns are probably the most important fantasy currency, and he could have eight really easily if he's healthy. I mean, he, he did what he did with basically a full year of rust and no football going into things. Um, you know, had a touchdown in the Super Bowl, had another in the playoffs. So he can be a lot better than he was. He, he was good in terms of catches, but wasn't a, a world beater, wasn't even normal Antonio Brown numbers, except maybe for, for the catches. So, yeah, he can step up. I don't know who the odd man out is in this. I mean, you wonder, like Scotty Miller is a guy who had a really good first half of last season Mm -hmm. and then wasn't nearly uh, the reps or the targets or the catches um, after that. Had a huge catch in Green Bay in the playoffs, don't get me wrong, but as a fantasy option, he was clearly a a number four. So that's probably the the easiest adjustment to make is that if you you really like Scotty Miller, he's he's kind of a flyer at this point fantasy-wise. It's really fun to look at this team because Evans, Godwin, and Antonio Brown all very clearly great receivers, great fantasy receivers, but it seems almost a guarantee that one of them just mathematically has to be a little bit of a fantasy disappointment. So hopefully you don't end up choosing the one that ends up in that spot. Let's move on to the backfield. From a fantasy perspective, it was a year of headaches last year with Ronald Jones, and then he would would have a great game, right? And then he would fumble on his second carry of the game, and he wouldn't see the field for the rest of the game, and it'd be a Leonard Fournette game. And then we'd think, all right, it's back to Leonard Fournette. And then Ronald Jones comes out two weeks later and gets 22 carries, and it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And now this year... We've got Giovanni Bernard in the mix, a guy who has been a legitimate receiving threat out of the backfield for years in Cincinnati, something we didn't really see last year from this team. It's something we know Tom Brady loves, going back to all those seasons he put up with James White in New England. So you see it right there on the screen. Is it another year of headaches from a fantasy perspective in this backfield? I really think so. Like, it could be a good group, but individually, you're you're taking some risks by putting any kind of high pick in any of those three. I would say if you can get either Jones or Fournette late, um, especially if one of the other, if the other got hurt, mm-hmm. you could have a really good guy. If you just have one primary back who's good for, you know, 16, 18 carries instead of splitting the pot the way they are, that could go really well. Cause they both, like you said, they both showed, you know, if they're the guy, they can do really well. I mean, Ronald Jones had 98 yard touchdown. Leonard Fournette had, I think 300 yard games in the playoffs when you think about total offense. But like you said, having Gio Bernard here, they, they both, Jones and Fournette both kind of struggled as pass catchers last year, low catch rates, fumbles, drops, um, and that's what Gio Bernard really does best. Um, I think he's been like a 35-catch guy pretty much every year in the league for eight years. Um, so I, I think he'll be their third-down guy. He'll be their pass-catching guy, their hurry-up, you know, obvious passing-down guy. And that means just, just less touches, less opportunities for those two. So I, I still think Ronald Jones can do very well. Um, I think Leonard Fournette will absolutely compete and it'll be like a 60-40 share if it's a split going into the year. But yeah, neither of those guys is going to be anything close to a bell cow. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It could work very well for Tampa. And that also works to the fantasy manager's detriment because Buccaneers don't care about us. Buccaneers just want to go out and win football games. It works very well for them. I do love circling back to Giovanni Bernard. He's basically free in fantasy drafts. And you just think of the great relationship that Brady had with James White all those years. And maybe Bernard doesn't have that large a role in this Tampa offense, but something that think we could see him be definitely worth a shot in the fantasy football world. Uh, you mentioned also this, I mean, every position group, it's crazy how deep this team runs in a tight end. We find it again, Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Brait, OJ Howard looking healthy. Is it as simple as this again, where they just all sort of get in each other's way and none of them can really emerge in the fantasy world? Yeah, I mean, like OJ Howard's pretty intriguing right now in that he's in a contract year he had kind of hit it off well with Brady. I think he had two touchdowns in four games before he got hurt last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's coming off a torn Achilles, so he, he's got to show himself healthy first. But um, everything we've heard has been good in that regard in terms of him coming back. Um, you know, Cam Brate took like a two, three million dollar pay cut to stay on here. So I think as good as Cam Brate can be as a red zone guy, he's probably the one that's marginalized if Gronk mm-hmm. and OJ are both healthy um, in that they're both probably superior blockers um, in addition to being good pass catchers. So those three, yeah, I mean, it, it's probably a 40-40-20 split among those three if they're all healthy. Um, but again, all you have to do is, is kind of get in Tom Brady's wheelhouse as a red zone guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Evans absolutely had that last year. I mean, inside the 10, that's where they were going in the red zone. So if Cam Brate can carve that out for himself, uh, he can have half the reps that Gronk have 
has and OJ Howard has, if he's their their red zone guy and he's the second tight end opposite one of those, he can make the most of it. But I would say from a fantasy standpoint, it, it's those top two. And again, as tight ends go, they're they're splitting the, the pie. So yeah. anything more than about six, seven touchdowns for either of those would be would be a really good success. Yeah, if you're in a if you're in a some sort of weird league that plays team tight end, maybe you're right. thinking about the Buccaneers. You get them all, just roll them into one. But the way most of us play, probably going to be staying away from them at least on draft day, and we'll see how things shake out over the first couple of games of the season. Right. One more question for you, Greg, before we let you go here. Uh, BetMGM has the Buccaneers at eleven and a half for their win total over under. You see the juice though, over minus one fifty. So you're going to have to pay up a premium to bet the over here. We can just talk about this as just straight up, forget about the betting odds and just do they go over, do they go under, where do you see this team going this season? I think over right now, you, you have to remember that 17 there. So that, yep. that's 11, that's 12 and five, which is basically what they were last year. They were 11 and five um, and then one of the playoffs. So no, I tend to think, you know, you're guarding against like a Brady injury, mm-hmm. but absent that, their schedule isn't that tough. I don't think the NFC South is, is as challenging as it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Saints definitely go down a peg. Um, you know, they have the Rams, they have the Bills. They don't have a ton of difficult games. It's like, but look at the Lions right now. They're favored in all 17 games. So um, as long as Brady's healthy, they, they should. I mean, I, I think of them right now as probably a 13 win team. Um, there's never been a 13 win team in Bucks history. So it's wild to think of that. Um, and nine of their 17 are on the road. There's lots of things that work against them, but there's a lot of winnable games. Um, as long as they stay healthy, I mean, at the level they were last year, probably didn't even have to be that healthy. They were really fortunate with injuries last year. I think the over, we, we just did a reader survey, and I think like <laughs> 85% of people were taken. Like, you ask Bucks fans coming off a of Super Bowl how their team's going to do, you, you can go ahead and shade toward the over, but it was like 85% towards the over at that oh, point. Oh, man. I would think 85% would be willing to take the over on 14 and a half. Right, exactly. I don't see a loss. Show me a loss. Show me one loss on this team's schedule. We'll say this. Tom Brady healthy. Feels like that over is pretty nice. And Tom Brady healthy. This is going to be a bountiful, if occasionally frustrating, fantasy team. That's Greg Allman, our Tampa Bay Bucks beat writer here at The Athletic. Greg, thanks for being with us on The Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Next up on our swing through the NFC South here on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast is the Atlanta Falcons. To talk Falcons, we bring on Tori McElhaney, our Falcons beat writer. Tori, it's been an interesting offseason for your team. How you doing? 
I'm doing good. You know, I said earlier that I can't complain, but I could with the Falcons because they kept me pretty busy this offseason. <laughs> yeah, definitely a busier offseason than most of our beat writers had to deal with here. But things settling down, heading into camp. It all started, of course, right away with the uh, head coaching change. Arthur Smith in, Dave Ragone in as the offensive coordinator. We know Arthur Smith from his days in Tennessee, but now coming over to Atlanta, there's no no uh, uh, Derrick Henry, no one like that. So what do you think the expectations are for an Arthur Smith, Dave Ragone offense? I think the expectation is to kind of let give them some time. I, you know, I think there's a lot of people that want Arthur Smith, Dave Ragone to come in and immediately take over this offense and this offense become more productive than they had have been in years past. But at the end of the day, there's still a lot that they're having to do in this first year, and there's a lot of turmoil in terms of what even the salary cap has not allowed them to do because they are kind of working with the salary cap against them and so when it comes to some of these offensive players and you know they did get Kyle Pitts in the draft and they still have Calvin Ridley you know Julio's not there anymore they still have Matt Ryan there are some questions as far as the offensive line goes but when everything's said and done I think they are in very much early in the process of just installing at this point. I think that's still where we are kind of with training camp coming up and with the preseason coming up. It'll be a work in progress, I think, in year one, whereas maybe in year two, year three, you're not looking at it like that. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and run through all of those key skill position players one by one. Let's start with Matt Ryan. Uh, something we've always loved in the fantasy community about a lot of these Matt Ryan Falcons teams is that there's been a ton of passing volume. Each of the last three seasons, he's gone north of 600 attempts. Of course, part of that's got to do with the fact that they've been a bad team. They've been under 500 each of the last three years. Any reason to think that that changes in terms of Matt Ryan's passing volume, or are you thinking another 600-plus attempt season? I think the volume will stay pretty close to where it's been. I think if you're Matt Ryan, you probably like that volume. I know when you're looking. But the, the problem with the Falcons right now is that in 2020, they weren't really a uh, multidimensional offensive attack. It was Matt Ryan. It was Julio. It was Calvin. And that felt like that was it. They couldn't get a run game going. And so in order for the Falcons, in order for Matt Ryan to be the best for him and, and even Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, all those other guys that he's passing to, the run game has to be established in a way that it hasn't been over the last couple of years. And I think if that happens, you see maybe Matt Ryan's numbers drop barely any at all. I still think he's going to have a lot. Like he's going to have what Matt Ryan normally has. I'm not really worried about that at all. But I do think it needs to drop some so that there is some – dimension to this offense and, and so what that means for Matt Ryan I think he still can get his numbers and it's not going to be a problem and honestly it may help him in the long run yeah, the one big guy that we know coming into this offense of course is the fourth overall pick Kyle Pitts and hey there's a TE next to his name on the depth chart I don't think a lot of us buy that as his actual position and certainly not what he brings to this offense we're not talking about Austin Hooper from a few years ago. This is a much different breed of player. Are they looking at him as the replacement for Julio Jones? I don't really think so as the specific replacement. Like, I don't think he's going to go out there and he's not, I don't think he's going to play Julio's role at all. I think he's going to play Kyle Pitts's role. And I think they are scheming specifically for him. I mean, you don't pick up a guy like Kyle Pitts and not use him in a different way than what any other tight ends being used in the league. And I think it's really exciting when you think about Kyle Pitts' trajectory in his rookie season without Julio Jones on the field because that would have made such a huge impact if you did run out Julio, Calvin, Kyle Pitts. I mean, th those are three big-time targets, and while that would have helped the offense immensely to have those guys running out there, I think at the end of the day, if you're looking at an individual performance, it helps Calvin it helps Kyle to not have Julio on the field too um they're they're just their looks go up and I think yeah. Matt Ryan was the one that said it best when he was like when we were I asked him one time about playing you know with Julio and Calvin if Calvin if it was something that Calvin like benefits from to be on the field with Julio and he was like well from a statistical standpoint no <laughs> because there's only so many plays in the game but now he's not on the field and I think that goes in the exact same breath with Kyle Pitts. And I also think you're going to see a lot of double tight end sets with him and Hayden Hurst. And I think this will be a really important year for Hayden Hurst as well. And that includes 
having Kyle on the field. I think people are overlooking Hayden a lot this offseason. Yeah, definitely been a little bit of an afterthought in early fantasy mm-hmm. drafts. That what you just mentioned with Kelvin Ridley and having Julio on the field. Does it help? Does it hurt? That was a question that you have for a lot of receivers. And, you know, that was the case with Kelvin Ridley last year when he plays with someone plays with an obvious number one, an obvious alpha like Julio, and then they're asked to do that. There's always going to be a question of can he do that until he proves it? Calvin Ridley blew that away last season absolutely proved himself a legitimate wide receiver one one of the best receivers in the game right and now nine and a half targets per game last season I mean this feels like an obvious question but I gotta ask you anyway that number I mean that's got to go up this year right yeah it definitely will (laughs) and I think that I honestly was looking at just like a case study of what the 2020 season looked like for Calvin when Julio was on the field versus when he wasn't on the field. And you can read that on the athletic. And um, I did that probably back in May and it was really fascinating because they did, they didn't skyrocket, but it was obvious. It was so obvious when Julio wasn't on the field that Calvin is the number one guy. And I think at the end of the day, he's earned it. I, I think, you know, even Going back to last year, before the season even started, one of my favorite quotes that we got about Calvin was from Ricardo Allen, who said, he's a number one receiver pretty much almost anywhere else he goes. He just happens to be playing beside a giant at at this position. And I think that was such a great quote from, from Ricardo. And I think I believe it. I truly do, especially after seeing 2020 and what Calvin was able to do on his own without Julio on the field. He's ready for this next step, I think, in I do think it's a natural progression for him at this point in his career. Moving on to the backfield, another big move for this team in the offseason was signing Mike Davis. And you know, we saw what Mike Davis could do last year, filling in for the injured Christian McCaffrey, and looked pretty darn good doing it. And you look at the rest of the depth chart, Quadri Allison seems like we know what he is. Javian Hawkins, an interesting guy, but you know, undrafted free agent. So we're looking at that. And that really seems like that Cordell Patterson, he'll do what he does. We talking about Mike Davis as a, I don't know, 70, 80% touch sort of workhorse? Yeah, I think that's definitely what they're looking at, which is very interesting. Because, I mean, when you look at Mike Davis, I think he really wants this. He really wants to be a workhorse, and he's never had that opportunity to be that until you kind of saw a glimpse of him doing that last year. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what gave the Falcons confidence to look at him this year and be like, you know what, we need somebody who's, a veteran who's experienced, who can come in and pick up the offense fairly quickly. Mike Davis is from Atlanta, someone who would want to get back to the city. I mean, he just seemed like a very good pickup for them in the offseason. I was very, very surprised, though, that they didn't try and build more around him and build more towards the future because they're only going to have Mike Davis one, maybe two years on his contract. And then, you know, with CP, he's going to be more of a gadgety guy, even though they did say that they want to see him in a traditional, traditional running back role. I don't necessarily buy that because of what we know he can do and what his track record is. Um, So, and then Quadre Allison, I am looking forward to seeing what he can do, but from a standpoint of who's the workhorse, it has to be Mike Davis, in my opinion. If we're looking at a traditional workhorse at, you know, in the backfield, it has to be Mike Davis with this roster. And so um, it'll be really interesting to see because I don't necessarily think that I absolutely don't think this is the long-term solution at running back. Um, I think this is a get to 2021 and we'll see what to do with the backfield after that. Um, But I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens this season with this group. Yeah, this team, obviously a different coaching staff, but this team saw up close and personal what Mike Davis can do in that sort of role in one of their meetings with Carolina last year. 89 yards on 16 carries, nine catches on 10 targets for 60 yards and a touchdown. So thinking that Mike Davis can maybe replicate that for the Falcons this season. Uh, What, we're about 10 days or so, two weeks out from the start of training camp. What's the one thing you would say you're most interested in watching when you get there? Oh, that's a great question. I think... Honestly, Kyle Pitts. I I know that's probably the the generic answer. I think Whatever. everybody is everybody is thinking the exact same thing. I I would be lying though if I said it was anything else because I think of everything, Kyle Pitts is the most exciting piece of this offense right now, and I I think he's the face. He's the future of of this offense, and I think it's going to be. There's a lot of pressure put on his shoulders you know, coming in, being the number four pick, understanding that he's going to 
have to at least take up a portion of Julio's uh, mm -hmm. statistics. I mean, he, he's just going to have to. The Falcons need him to. Um, that's a lot of responsibility to put on him, but I do think that he is going to be a very, very interesting guy to watch, not just this year, but, you know, if he remains healthy for years to come. And I, I think getting able, being able to see him in his first training camp and to see what Arthur Smith is really scheming for him, that is what I'm most excited about. I mean, that is universal across the football world. We're talking about Falcons, beat writers, fantasy people, everyone in between. Everyone is very excited to see Kyle Pitts and what he's going to bring to the table as a rookie. One more question for you here, Tori. Uh, BetMGM, our partners over there, have this team set with a win total over under of seven and a half. So right around 500. If you were taking this today, would you go over the seven and a half or under the seven and a half? Oh, man. I like, I like the idea of them being around 500. And, and I think that is where I would sit. I, I feel good about this. Like looking at it, I'm like, okay, this I think makes sense to me. And I, I really, you know, the expectation for the Falcons right now is you know, not that great because I think <laughs> no one really knows what's going to happen. I mean, I don't even know. I think the coaches are still trying to figure that mm -hmm. out. And so I think to say, just looking at that, that, that seems where I would, you know, look at it too, was be like right around 500 for them. Yeah, it feels like that sort of year for the Falcons, but still a lot of interesting things happening with the new faces in town and still going to give us plenty to cheer about in the fantasy football world. You want the Falcons at the Athletic, Tori McElhaney, giving it to you. Tori, thank you very much for being with us here on the Fantasy Football Pod. Thank you. Next up on our swing through the NFC South here on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast is the New Orleans Saints. To do that, we bring on our Saints beat writer, Kat Terrell. Kat, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am also doing great. This is I've been looking forward to this one, I gotta say, because there is some pretty major change happening, of course, right at the top of this team. Sean Payton. He's still here, the quarterback who he's made so much greatness with on the football field. He is no longer here. Drew Brees retiring, and that gives us what feels like, I think, probably the most um, instrumental quarterback battle that we have in the fantasy football world between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. You are still, what, about a week away from training camp beginning, but how can you handicap this situation going into training camp for us? Well, I've got to think that Jameis has uh, the upper hand. I I was always a little skeptical about, you know, Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback, and I don't think that his four games that he started last year really conclusively proved anything. I don't think he took the job and ran with it, and I think in this situation you kind of needed to take the job and run with it. Now, I mean, granted, one of those games is not his fault. The Denver game was crazy, and as he and everyone else of the Saints has – said uh, he basically wasn't allowed to do anything uh, just because they were, you know, playing as conservatively as possible uh, with the mm -hmm. COVID craziness going on. But I think all that being said, you know, he's been training this offseason specifically to be a quarterback, not to be the jack of all trades player that he was before. And, I mean, who knows? Some, some players just, like, take comp competitive situations and thrive in it. So – uh, maybe comes out of the gate running in camp and uh, basically takes over the position. But I think it's going to be hard because for all of Jameis Winston's flaws, I think that he's proven he's extremely talented. He has a, a big arm. If he can rein in the decision-making, I mean, he and Sean Payton could do great things together. So whoever wins, it's going to be really exciting to watch, and I honestly can't wait. Do you think this is a true, honest-to-goodness quarterback competition and not just Sean Payton giving us some coach speak? I'm always skeptical, so I'm going to lean <laughs> towards um, it's it's Jameis. But I, I don't know, because last year we didn't know at this time that it wasn't a true backup competition. I mm -hmm. remember going to camp, and you know it was weird because media – what it was it was allowed in on a rotating basis so i went to almost every practice but i didn't go to a few and i came out of that camp thinking wow i really think that Jameis won the backup job i think he outperformed Taysom. i think he just overall looked better and then you know Taysom was uh, got the backup job and i started questioning everything i knew about uh watching <laughs> quarterbacks and then i found out later peyton had promised the backup job to to Taysom. 
And I highly doubt any such promises were made this year. I think that that was a different mm-hmm. situation. I think that they're probably both going to have every opportunity to win the job. I and mean, I would say it's a level playing field, but I, I still feel like Winston has the edge. But, you know, that, that's just me at this point. All right, one big storyline also surrounding this team in the fantasy world is what happens with Alvin Kamara, specifically as a receiver, without Drew Brees. We know that Drew Brees has been excellent for Alvin Kamara's receiving value his entire career. And hey, Alvin Kamara is pretty darn good for his own receiving value also. With the quarterback change, is there any concern that Kamara's receiving value maybe takes a step back? Or should this just be uh, a guy who's just continuing on the path he's been on this for last couple of years? No, it's absolutely a concern. And I think fantasy players should look very closely at this quarterback competition. Because if you go back to the stretch where Taysom Hill was the starting quarterback, you will see that Kamara's receiving numbers dropped pretty steeply. And I think that's the nature of how Taysom plays the position. He's more likely to take off and run, whereas Drew Brees would be more likely to dump off the ball to Kamara. So if it's Taysom, I think that Kamara's receiving numbers aren't going to look as good. And I, I think that um, that's probably not going to change much. I mean, it, it's just it's when you have a dual threat quarterback like that, that's, that's how it is. So anyone who's, uh, you know, keen on drafting Kamara should probably hope for Winston to win. But, you know, there, there could be some, uh, you know, changes to the offense. Uh, well, there will be changes to the offense no matter which quarterback wins. But, yeah, I would definitely go back and look at those numbers. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the complicating factor in the fantasy world is that if you're taking Alvin Kamara, that means you're passing on you know, Derrick Henry or Saquon Barkley or someone like that. You're making a very tough decision. You need those receiving numbers to be there to justify that decision. Uh, by the same token, is there potentially a larger role in play for Latavius Murray with the quarterback change? That's, uh, that's another interesting question, but I wouldn't really say so. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that his numbers would go up in any huge way unless they're trying to take some of the load off Kamara. And that really all depends on his health. I mean, everyone saw what he did last year. He had fantastic numbers. Now, you know, that Christmas Day game with all those yes. touchdowns it helps <laughs> a little bit. But a healthy Kamara is, is definitely – I mean, you know, one of the top fantasy players in the entire league or and top players, but you know what I mean. Uh, so I wouldn't go into the season thinking that Murray's role depends on the quarterback. I, I think that the Taysom Hill angle would uh, be a bigger factor in, you know, handicapping him. Yeah, week 16, six touchdowns. That was uh, a week that Alvin Kamara ended a lot of fantasy championships before they even started, considering that was a day before all the other games were going on. We all loved that, at least those of us who were Alvin Kamara managers. Uh, Michael Thomas, 2020 was a bit of a lost season for him. Just never really got healthy pretty much from the jump. Is there any reason to think he's not just back to being the same Michael Thomas that we knew before last year this year? I think that people should look at some of the comments Peyton made around um, OTAs. Now, they didn't have a traditional set of OTAs this year, and Peyton usually doesn't divulge any injury answers unless you basically somehow pull it out of him that day. But he did mention that Michael Thomas was still receiving treatment on his ankle, which I found really interesting because at this point, it's been quite a long time. Now, ankle injuries can linger. We saw this during the fall, but that's because he kept playing on it. I mean, this was something that happened week mm-hmm. one. So this is almost, we're almost a year in to this. And the fact that he's still receiving treatment is pretty interesting. So it's going to be at the top of things for me that I'm going to watch when training camp opens, because if he's hindered in any way, I think that puts a huge strain on the rest of the receivers because there's no yeah. number two right now. I mean, there's no Manuel <laughs> Sanders. And there's no Drew Brees, and they had such just amazing chemistry together. So it's uh, gosh, it's like anyone's ball, anyone's ball game. Like in this receiving group this year, it's it's a uh, kind of a huge question mark. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I want to go next. I think assuming health, Michael Thomas leads this team in targets. Alvin Kamara's second. We have no idea what to expect next at the wide receiver position. We have an idea of what Traquan Smith is, but 
more of a complimentary player than someone who you want really being third on your team in targets, I think. So, I mean, who is next? What do you look for at training camp to figure out who's next at this position? Well, they've all kind of got their pros and cons. I think, obviously, Deontay Harris is a a fantastic piece of the offense, but he just has never been able to be – he was a – he had a bigger role last year, sorry. But that was still like something like 16% of the snaps. And you kind of mm-hmm. wonder if it's always going to be that small because of injuries and also because he's so important as a return man. So you can't really put him way up there. I think the interesting guy to watch is Marquez Callaway. I thought that he had talent from the minute they picked him up as an undrafted free agent. I think he got to show that a little bit last year. And I think he's a guy who's going to be an ascending player and show off even more talent this year. So that's a guy I'd take a flyer on for sure. But as for the rest of them, it's interesting because the Saints have always been a team that really relies on tight ends and tight ends as pass catchers. There was, I think it was 2019 that it went something like Michael Thomas, uh, Alvin Kamara, Jared Cook, like four of their players after Thomas and leading uh uh, catches or targets weren't even receivers. Yeah. But now there's no Jared Cook and um, Josh Hill, used, who used to not be a huge pass catcher, but he was a decent mm-hmm. part of the offense. Uh, he's not around anymore, so you got a, you've got an unknown tight end in Adam Troutman. So maybe he takes a big step forward and he takes some of those targets, but I don't know. Um, right now the only <laughs> receiver name I got for you is Callaway, and maybe someone steps up at, at training camp. Hey, you're taking me right from one question to the next because Adam Troutman is next up on the list here. There is already a little bit of sleeper love for Adam Troutman in the fantasy community. I think a good amount of it is based on what you said. This is a team that leans on the tight ends. Even without Drew Brees, we're expecting them to be a pretty strong offense. You've got guys like Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, very top-heavy. You've got a strong offensive line. Uh, Can we justify the sleeper love that's out there for Adam Troutman? think so I think that when you look at his rookie season the guy was never supposed to be a number one tight end well I mean of course he wasn't you know he wasn't drafted in the first round but he was supposed to be brought along slowly the Saints said that he said that he was coming out of Dayton he was the second player ever drafted from his school he caught a lot of touchdowns there but they all knew hey this guy's gonna take a while and that's okay I mean so he gets drafted and then it's right in the middle of a pandemic he doesn't have a normal offseason so the fact that we're talking about Adam Trotman at all as a sleeper guy and a guy that really has a lot of potential says a lot about him and how he was able to come on at the end of the year. He even said a week ago, a week ago, a month or two ago, we talked to him at the beginning of the summer that it kind of started to click for him midway through. And now, you know, he's, he's got to be the guy because, as I said, those other guys are gone so I would definitely keep this guy in mind because I think the Saints are going to try to make him a big part of the offense. I think he's got that year behind him now. He's got a little bit of a more normal and, and fair offseason. I kind of think of the offseason as unfair to all those rookies last year, just a matter yeah. of circumstance. So he's got every opportunity now to be the next big tight end in the Saints offense. Will he be? I don't know. But um, we're kind of past the, all right, you give him an excuse point and now it's okay now let's see what you can really do all right last question here for you cat uh the saints even with the change at quarterback still getting plenty of love from the gambling community our partners at betmgm have them sitting at a win total over under of nine with the over being a slight favorite at minus 115 no drew Brees. can this still be a 10 win team where do you sit on the saints going over or under that nine I'm right around that 10-win team uh, opinion as well, even though it's kind of funny. It's not the same anymore with the additional game. But the reason I say Mm -hmm. this, even though I do not believe the Saints got better in the offseason, I I believe that they got worse. When the Saints have been bad, when the Saints have had historically bad defenses, they were still right around that 7-9, and 8-8 mark. And I think that this is a better team than those teams were. We're not talking about the 2012 uh, worst offense, offense, worst defense in the history of the league. So the Saints have a lot of potential in some of these positions with a lot of younger guys that we don't know much about yet. And no, I, I don't think they will be as good as they have been in the past. Obviously, they have no Hall of Fame quarterback anymore. But I think they're going to contend, and I think they'll probably surprise people a little bit. 
Hey, Jameis has got like a fantasy Hall of Fame uh, year behind him when he had that 30 interception and 40 touchdown, whatever it was, season with Tampa. I'll tell you what, fantasy-wise, we'll sign up for that right now. We'll live with the interceptions if it means that we're getting huge years out of Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and maybe even Adam Troutman thrown in there. That's New Orleans Saints and Cat Terrell, our Saints beat reporter here at The Athletic. Cat, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks for having me on. I can't wait till the season starts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Joining us, our Panthers beat writer, Joe Person. Joe, how you doing today? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. This is a team that is undergoing one of the most significant changes a team can undergo, head coach or quarterback. Last year, it was the head coach with Matt Rule. This year, it is the quarterback with Sam Darnold taking over for Teddy Bridgewater. Of course, the whole offensive infrastructure was changed last season with Matt Rule and Joe Brady coming into town how does Sam Darnold fit what this team's going to want to do offensively? And how is that different, if it is different at all, from what they did with Teddy Bridgewater last season? Well, it's interesting because it, it almost, in some ways, feels like Teddy Bridgewater may have been the better fit in terms of we didn't see a lot of down-the-field throws. Uh, it, it, we saw a lot of underneath timing-based routes with Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, where, where and, and Teddy Bridgewater was really pretty good at that. I mean, his completion percentage was terrific. Uh, he, he struggled at the end of games. Um, you know, they went 0 for 8 in games when they had the ball at the end with a chance to, to win or to tie. Um, whereas Darnold, he's been more of a down-the-field guy and, and hit or miss when he does that. Uh, what we saw in minicamp, is when he was throwing a lot of those underneath stuff, it was getting knocked down at the line of scrimmage, like a lot, like noticeably to the point where we asked Matt Rule about it afterwards. And he said, you know, Darnold's got to kind of learn a little bit more to kind of shift around in the pocket, not be a runner, but like slide up here, find this window to the right. So you're not getting those shorter passes knocked down. But I think they need to work with his strengths, too. And, and Rule said this. He said, look, we need to take a few more shots down downfield than we did last year. And I do think, uh, going back to Bridgewater real quickly, I do think there were plays uh, that, that they would call, that Joe Brady would call. And Teddy, I think, was just sort of reluctant a little bit to pull the trigger that he, you know, I know he was in the red zone where there'd be times where they wanted him to kind of like gun it or thread it into a short, a small window in the end zone. And he'd check it down and, and was among the reasons, not the only reason, among the reasons they were really bad in the red zone. Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson, of course, have a uh, history together, a relationship dating back to their shared days with the New York Jets. Uh, Robbie Anderson had an excellent first year with the Panthers. And then you've got DJ Moore heading into his fourth year in the NFL, his fourth year with a different primary starting quarterback. And we know the immense talent that DJ Moore has. How does the team balance these two guys? You talk about maybe taking more shots down the field, and we saw Darnold and Robbie Anderson do that in New York does he become the number one? Is DJ Moore still the number one? How is the balance going to be figured out between these two wide receivers? This sounds diplomatic, but I, I do think it's true, especially with the loss of Curtis Samuel. I think these guys become more like a one and one and a, um, it, their numbers, I, you know, I don't have them right in front of me, but I know the receiving yardage was very similar topping the a thousand yard mark. Um, Anderson didn't score, you know, he didn't get in the end zone a lot. I know that. And I think that does harken back to what you just said and, and what Matt Rule has said. They've got to figure out a way to get him and Darnold kind of synced up on some of those, those big hits. 
and and you know that's a boon for fantasy owners and i think it's a boon for joe brady's offense the, the panthers were were really effective last year moving the ball between the 20s and then they they'd get hung up in the red zone their short yardage game wasn't real great their two minute game wasn't real great but so i i think what we're going to see they need to be better situationally and i think um and i think dj Moore, frankly is probably more geared and 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 just probably more of that third down clutch receiver probably because more of his quickness and he's a lower stature smaller stature he can go over the middle and 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 kind of get low and not absorb those big hits where robbie anderson as a long lean guy would be susceptible so you totally nailed it, uh, Joe. They were just barely within 100 yards of one another. 1193 for DJ Moore last season and 1096 for Robbie Anderson. So kudos to you, my friend. Something we talk about in the fantasy world a lot is the fact that DJ Moore just hasn't quite broken through in the touchdown department. I think we all know that receiving touchdowns are among the most volatile stats in all of sports. Forget just football. It can come, they can go. We've seen it all the time. Julio Jones famously doesn't score a ton of touchdowns for a wide receiver as talented as he is. But four touchdowns each of the last two seasons, despite going north of 1,100 yards each of the last two seasons, you put that together, you would expect DJ Moore to find the end zone more often than he has to this point in his career, just 10 touchdowns over the first three years of his career. Is there something that the, the Panthers can do to address that, or is this just something that ultimately has to work itself out? And one of these days we will see DJ Moore with a eight, nine, 10 touchdown season. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I, that as you were talking there, Michael, that he's not, he's not small. DJ Moore's kind of a tweener. Like I think they list him at six feet, which is probably about right. And so I guess what I'm trying to say, he's not a guy you're going to line up and throw a lot of fade passes to. He doesn't have that six foot three length and, and big wing, wingspan to be that kind of a receiver that we see so many guys, you know, taking advantage of across the league. So he's got to score like on catch and runs, you know, or big plays, which we talked about. And he's capable of that. I mean, he's got pretty good speed. The other thing, going back to Curtis Samuel, who, you know, this is for the Washington football team folks listening in, Curtis Samuel, they got him in the end zone on some reverses, on some end arounds, like that sometimes putting him in the backfield. So maybe the Panthers do a little bit more of that with DJ Moore with Curtis Samuel going. Yeah, definitely see those targets and those touches that Curtis Samuel scooped up, vacated, and DJ Moore could be one of the guys who ends up getting some of that. Of course, Christian McCaffrey could be getting some of that as well. A lost season for CMC last year, but was having a hell of a statistical season, probably the best per-game performer at the running back position yet again. If we go back over the last couple of seasons, he had 326 touches in 2018, 403 in 2019. If we extrapolate out the three games he did play last year, that puts him for 352 touches last season. Is somewhere in that range a realistic expectation for his workload this year? Every year we ask the question whether it was Ron Rivera and uh, you know, and his staff or, or, or Joe Brady and Matt Rule, are you going to try to minimize the, the, the wear and tear by getting him fewer touches, by getting McCaffrey fewer touches? And invariably, the answer is no. I mean, they, they maybe in the preseason, they, they, you know, they talk, or in training camp, they talk about being smart. And, and I do think there are ways. Uh, first of all, you know, I, I will say like last year, I think was an anomaly for him. Uh, those three injuries were not connected in any way. None of them were chronic. I think it was bad luck. Fantasy owners, they, they know what's coming. I mean, McCaffrey's going to get the ball a lot. I think with a new quarterback, I think especially early on, as Darnold's getting his feet under him, McCaffrey's going to be the outlet, the the, the safety, uh, the the security blanket. And so I think I think he's going to get a lot of touches. Period. But I really do think early on you're going to see Darnold lean on him even more heavily until Darnold really gets comfortable in the offense. We're a couple of weeks from the start of training camp. When you go into training camp, when you get on the ground there. 
What's the one thing, if you could pick one thing to watch very closely with this team, what's it going to be? It's got to be Darnold. I mean, it, 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 listen, they were they were on just about every quarterback this offseason. I'm talking about um, from uh, Matthew Stafford. They made a run at him before, before the Rams locked him down. They were absolutely interested in Deshaun Watson. And Darnold was sort of just kind of the fallback option, like, they, they they clearly were not going to bring Teddy Bridgewater back. And so they got Darnold. You know, when you look at it, yes, they gave up three picks, but they didn't give up any first rounders, only one second rounder. And then with some of the things they did on draft day, they basically recouped uh, at least two of those three picks. So, you know, they didn't give up a lot. They picked up his fifth-year option for 22 at, at $18 million. So – but but David Tepper, the owner here, who happens to be the NFL's richest owner, he has made it clear. Like they paid they're they paid Teddy Bridgewater to go away. They're 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 eating besides the dead money, they're paying half of his salary in Denver. And I think they'll do that with Darnold if he's not the answer. I mean, I, despite that, you know, that eighteen million dollar number for twenty two, either that or it'll just be an expensive backup. So so yeah. I, all eyes are going to be on Darnold. I'd like to tell you something, you know, a little bit more obscure. I mean, but um, I think this is a pretty solid team. I'm, I'm not, you know, they're not going to the Super Bowl, but they could threaten with being, a, a, you know, having a winning record and maybe sneaking into a wild card if Darnold proves to be something more than he was not in New York. Joe, you're leading me right into the last question I've got for you. We're rounding out all of these with you guys asking for a little bit of a prediction. BetMGM has the Panthers win over under set at 7.5. I will say if you want to go over, you're getting even money, plus 100. If you're going under, you're paying a little bit of juice at minus 120. So over under 7.5. Can this team get to an 8-9 and nine record? What do you got on them? Yeah, you know what? I might go, you know, over barely. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super bullish on this team, but I do think they're going to be better. They won five games last year, you know, despite not having McCaffrey for 13 of those games. So, yeah, I I, I think they're going to be over on that. Uh, yeah, I'm not ready to put them in the playoffs yet. This, this is an NFC South division in transition. I mean, clearly – we all know who, who's at the top of the division and until Tom Brady proves us otherwise, I'm not betting against him. But then after him, you know, the saints are transitioning at quarterback. Uh, the Falcons are going to try to make one more run. It looks like with Matt Ryan, you know, they trying to beef up around him, got Kyle Pitts and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's reasonable to think the Panthers improve this year and go from like five wins to eight or even nine. And as we look at this team in the fantasy world, you've got the number one pick in Christian McCaffrey, two easy starters in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. And we hope that Sam Darnold can keep everything on the tracks. That's Joe Person, Carolina Panthers beat writer here at The Athletic. Joe, thanks again for being with us today. Appreciate it, Michael. And that puts a bow on the NFC South edition of our Beat Writer Roundtable here on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks to all of our NFC South Beats for joining us, and thanks to you for listening as well. We'll be back with you soon.